As far as standard announcements, again, I just want to invite you to come check out our website at fbcelp.org, and then you will find all the information you need about our church. COVID guidelines, directions, um, statement of faith, how we got started here. Also, um, down towards the bottom, there's a, a prayer uh, a request or a comment card or a comment section where you can send us a prayer request or if you have any comments or questions, you can send, send it to me that way. It'll come directly to me and nobody else, and I'll respond to you as quickly as possible. Also, at the way bottom, there is also, also a PayPal link. The Lord is putting into your heart to, to give. Um, you can uh, you can do it that way. There is a short percentage that about three percent that PayPal takes out. So if you're okay with that, and then we're okay with it too. But you can always also send us a check in the mail, or uh, there's other methods you can give as well. So our address is 4242 Honda Pass Drive, Suite 101. El Paso, Texas, 79904. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Hope everyone had a great time. Everyone was blessed. Um, and uh, as you noticed, we are beginning now the Christmas season, so we're going to try to incorporate a Christmas worship song like we have done since we opened our doors uh, for the next few weeks. So, uh, so just keep that in mind. So this week, well, I was basically going to be, supposed to be taking vacation. I think the plan and I were planning on going to San Diego originally, or at least spending the weekend in Arizona. And so, obviously, because of the COVID lockdowns, we ended up staying here. We ended up staying home. Just most of the stuff around the house, celebrating Thanksgiving as a family together. My son pulled from San Diego, and we just had a great time with him and all of us together. So that was that was pretty neat. So uh, I a few weeks ago I asked um, Rick Harry, Richard uh, Richard uh, Harry to, to come teach for us uh, this week, and so um, that's uh, we continued on with that plan. So this week um, we're going to a great and wonderful message from Mr. Richard Harry at the Lord Calvary Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you who's here with us, who's watching online, or who will be watching us later on today. Um, on behalf of Fresh Vision Church, I wanted to welcome everyone who's with us. And um, I hope that your Thanksgiving weekend has been filled with joy, and we're thankful that you could join us during this time today. Um, as Pastor Angel had mentioned, my name is Richard Herod. Uh, my family and I regularly attend uh, Fresh Vision Church, and um, we consider this our church home. And um, we, um, Pastor Angel has asked me to present a message that was given to me today. And um, this message comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Um, but before I begin that, I would like um, to take this opportunity to just thank the Lord for, for us being here, first of all, and allowing us to worship Him this morning and praise Him, and to allow us to learn of Him um, by learning from His Word. So let's take a moment and pray uh, before we continue. Um, please bow your head. Father God, thank you for this time, and we just ask that you take this time and that you bring honor and glory to yourself, that you move me out of the way, and that you bring the message that you've um, laid on my heart, Father God. Um, we ask that you prepare the hearts and minds who are here to hear the message, um, to receive it. We ask that you um, use this to transform us to be more and more like you on a daily basis. 
Father God, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to follow you and to allow you to lead our lives. And we just ask that you use this time to bring glory to yourself and that if anyone doesn't know you, that they would come to know you through, um, through your word and through the message that you have today. Father God, all glory to you, all honor to you. We just thank you for this opportunity. And we lift this up to you in your son's name. Amen. And so as I mentioned, today's passage comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And the main idea of today's lesson is that through our surrendered hearts, uh, we're able to follow Christ. Um, we're able to experience the transformation that he has for us. And this allows um, him to use us for his service according to the gifts that he's given us as a part of the body of Christ. But before we examine what the Lord has for us in this passage, uh, please allow me to share the historical context um, behind um, the book of Romans and to summarize God's grace and mercy um, through salvation as given through the first part of um, Romans. Um, this will help us to understand today's passage as it applies to each and every one of us. And um, for those of you who are interested, I'd just like to encourage you to go ahead and read uh, Romans chapters 1 through 11 so that you can get a deeper appreciation of God's righteousness and a better understanding of the mercy and grace that he's shown mankind. So um, let's begin with the historical background. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul in A.D. 57 while he was in Corinth. Um, it is believed that the Apostle Paul wrote this in anticipation um, of a desired visit to Rome because it was believed that he wished to share the gospel with the Romans. And at the time of writing, Rome was very powerful, wealthy, and considered to be um, the greatest city in the world. Uh, some biblical scholars note that wealth was demonstrated by many magnificent buildings um, that were present during that time period, and that the population at that time was over one million. Um, it's believed that most of the inhabitants of Rome at that time were slaves, and that there was both ethnic diversity and a variety of religions being practiced by the inhabitants of Rome at that time. Uh, so the church at Rome was believed to be made mostly of Gentile believers and some Jewish believers. And while debate exists over the founding of the Roman church, um, it's most likely that Christians from churches previously established by Paul had um, settled in Rome and led others to Christ. So throughout the book of Romans, the message of justification by faith, union with Christ, and salvation are clearly communicated for our benefit. Um, I'll now share some key passages regarding this because it'll help us better understand today's lesson. Um, as you remember, Adam and Eve's original sin in the Garden of Eden was detrimental to humankind and had separated all of us from God. And so in the first part of Romans, we're reminded of the sinful nature of humankind that resulted from Adam and Eve and our need for God's righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people, because all sinned. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 reminds us that it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands all. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Romans 3, verses 23 through 25 reminds us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All 
means all. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. We're also reminded in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the death referred to here is a spiritual death, resulting in an eternity spent in hell when not dealt with accordingly. So Romans chapter 3, verse 20 reminds us that no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin that comes through the law. We're reminded that there is absolutely nothing we can do on our own to fix our sin nature. This means we can't earn our way to God's acceptance through our work or living what many would be calling good, clean lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says that for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works, so no one can boast. But through God, we are reminded that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God proved his own love for us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a huge reason for joy. We're also reminded in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. So this means that Christ's death on the cross is the only way to be saved. There is no other path for salvation, and there is no other answer outside of Jesus Christ. You can't do a bunch of good things to be saved. You can't just live a good life to be saved. You can't follow the right crowd to be saved. And just hoping you live good enough is not the way to be saved. But there is good news. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. True salvation comes when a person truly turns away from their sin and truly believes that Christ died on the cross for their sins. By turning away from our sins and trusting Christ, we experience his mercy, resulting in an eternity with him instead of an eternity apart from him. So for those who trust Christ and accept his grace and accept the free gift of salvation, at that moment in time, transformation happens. Transformation happens within us, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us becomes evident. Some of this transformation happens instantly, and some transformation happens over time. When I say that the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident, I am saying that with the Spirit living with us at that point of salvation, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control become apparent in our redeemed lives. So we're reminded in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. We're also reminded in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit 
of your mind and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So I've said a lot um, prior to digging into our passage for today. And before I continue, I look around the room right now, and I believe that most of us in this room already have a relationship with the Lord from just living amongst each other. I think those of us who do have a relationship with the Lord realized at one point in time that we're sinners who need a Savior. Um, those of us who came to that realization believe that Jesus came to earth cross for our sins. And many of us rose again, and then at one point in time trusted Jesus Christ to save us. And through that saving faith in Christ Jesus, we've given our lives over to him for his leadership, to seek to honor him, follow him, and obey him in all that we do. So through our relationship with the Lord Jesus, we know that the Lord is with us because the Holy Spirit lives within us now. John chapter 14, verse 6 reminds us that upon salvation, we were given another counselor to be with us forever. He is the Spirit of truth who remains with us and continues to be in us. So in maintaining the relationship with Jesus Christ, I know that many of us abide in him, pray without ceasing, and continually go to our Lord and Savior for rest, rejuvenation, and leadership in our lives. And so our salvation and God's mercy on us through his Son, Jesus Christ, sets the stage for today's passage of Scripture. And I truly believe this is why the first 11 chapters of Romans focused on God's grace and mercy through his Son, Jesus Christ. So let us now turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And I'll give everyone a moment to turn there before I start reading. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading with diligence, showing mercy, with cheerfulness. So let's take a look at that passage of scripture that we just read right now. In the first verse, the Apostle Paul urges readers to yield themselves to the Lord because of his mercy. And we spend a considerable amount of time right now talking about God's mercy on us by sending his son to die on the cross for our salvation. So transformation happens at that point of salvation. And transformation continues throughout our lives, following him after we're saved. And so this transformation I'm talking about is tangible. I think about people that I've known several years ago and had been apart from them for a while and then came to run into them again years later. Um, for those that we know abide in him, I can see that transformation. 
often I see a softening of their spirit. They're more trusting in him. They have a greater desire to be amongst his people. And great, they have greater kindness towards others. I also see an increased desire to serve him, a deeper desire to honor him. Um, I also see lives more devoted to his purposes and lives being uh, more surrendered to serving others on his behalf, even if it means that they themselves will be uncomfortable or will have to sacrifice something in the end. So as we build ourselves to him, we are to present all of ourselves as a living sacrifice. And that living sacrifice is offering all of ourselves to him to be used as he sees because he saved us from an eternity apart from him. This is our true worship because we prioritize him over all else when we present to our, ourselves to him in totality. So Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 reminds us that we are to take off our former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So this living sacrifice of ourselves means offering all of ourselves to him and that we allow him to place us in situations that benefit others and allows others to learn who he is and how he can save them. It even means that it could be at our own personal expense or disadvantage repeatedly, but at his glory. This living sacrifice is offering all of ourselves to him to the point of his glory, even when it means that we aren't glorified. I believe that offering all of ourselves to him in this way is pleasing to him and holy because it places him front and center and above and in front of everything else. So I know that some people fear surrender to this level because they're afraid that the Lord will send them to some place that's awful in their minds or the sacrifice will be too uncomfortable. I can't stand here and say that that won't happen. And I can't say that surrender will never be uncomfortable or that you won't even be hurt in the process as you follow him in complete surrender. But what I can say is that if you trust him and that you allow him to lead your life, you will see that he cares for you through all of it and that he really does know what's best for you. I know that in my own life, when he leads me towards something that I'm not sure I will like or something that I know will be very uncomfortable and I'm obedient, I always look back and I see how his work throughout the situation transforms me to his benefit. I see his blessings throughout that process, and I'm thankful for his overwhelming presence during those times. And while there are times where it feels very uncomfortable, I draw closer to him, and I become, and the relationship that I have with him becomes stronger and stronger as a result of trusting him through that process. And when I look back at it, I see, wow, you really did something amazing, Lord, and it's something that's completely outside of who I am and has everything to do with who you are. I think about the Apostle Paul and what many would call his sufferings in Christ throughout his missionary journeys and in his own living sacrifice. So if we take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, um, he describes some of those sufferings that he experienced while walking the light, or while walking the walk following Christ. He says, five times I received the forty lashes minus one from the Jews. So he's been whipped, he'd been whipped severely. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I had spent a night and a day in the open seas. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, 
dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Not to mention of other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. And so, in this passage, the Apostle Paul described the sufferings that he had faced. Yet with all of the sufferings that he faced, he didn't use it to boast about himself. Look at me, I'm this great guy. Instead, he boasted about his weakness because that's when the Lord would be used to would be glorified for His mercy, and that's when the Apostle Paul could communicate that the Lord is the Lord of his life. In turn, the Lord used Paul in a very mighty way. We look at the New Testament, and he wrote major portions of it. Um, he established churches through Paul. Paul, um, the Lord used Paul to mentor others in sharing the gospel and provided instruction that benefited those who were struggling to follow the Lord. So in essence, we die to ourselves and our fleshly desires. We yield ourselves to him for his purposes, and our devotion to him is our worship. Our worship comes from our true devotion to him priority over everything else. Our gain comes from what Christ is doing within us because of his mercy on us and because we have him in our lives. So let's move on to the second verse. Um, in the second verse, we're reminded not to be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So the question comes in, what is this present age? What are we seeing in this present age? Um, let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Um, those verses describe lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Pretty vivid description. And so, as we think about that, we think about this present age, people have taken what is sacred and turned it into something vile. Um, during this present age, people have made the reprehensible acceptable and the acceptable unacceptable. So these examples are not unique to our current day. I think about Lot and his family and the immorality in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. I think about the people of Israel and their worship of golden calves. I think about how the Canaanites worship Baal. I think about how King Saul treated um, David. I think about Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. I personally think that the reference to this age in verse 2 is a reference to the time before Jesus comes. So Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 give another example of what is valued outside of Christ during this age. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, crowds, anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So instead of all of that, we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And taking a look at that second verse in our passage today, when we're in the process of yielding to him and in following him, whether at salvation or in our continued walk with Christ, we continue to experience that transformation within us, all as a result of the Holy Spirit working inside of us 
and his word working within us. So we are reminded that upon salvation, the Holy Spirit lives within us and acts as our counselor and as our guide. John chapter 14, verse 7 says that he is a spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Moving down to verse 26 in that same chapter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, have, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I told you. So we do have that assurance of guidance and leadership through the Holy Spirit. And we're also reminded of the transformative power of the Word of God. Um, we're reminded in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So this is the justification behind the high value behind the Word of God. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Very profound. We're also reminded in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is living and effective than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so through the Holy Spirit's work within us and the word of God on our hearts and minds, the Lord transforms us. And through this continual transformation process, we're given the ability to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So through our salvation, our being a living sacrifice to him, and through our transformation that happens because of him, we are now enabled to be a part of the body of Christ. Moving on to verse 3. The third verse of this passage serves as a turning point. The Apostle Paul acknowledges the grace that God has given him. And I believe this is important because it precedes instructions from the Apostle Paul regarding our role in the body of Christ to what we do next. I believe that the Apostle Paul was preparing us for this turning point with the first 11 chapters of Romans into how we continue our walk as a part of the body of Christ. So it's important to remember that before salvation, the Apostle Paul, then called Saul, was known for persecuting Christians. He was not known for being a very kind person. We take a look at Acts chapter 9, and we see Saul's miraculous salvation. This is what scripture says. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He was imprisoning Christians. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting here. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. 
In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man. How much harm has he done to your saints in Jerusalem? And he has authority here from your chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So, given what Ananias had seen right in front of him in, in the, the current context, or Saul's current personality, this was a, quite a risky thing in Ananias' mind. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. So all who heard were astonished and, or astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc for those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So this account here tells of Saul's instantaneous transformation because he had an encounter with Christ and he yielded to him. And this was definitely not something that the Apostle Paul had earned. This was something that was given to the Apostle Paul, however, because of our Lord's mercy and grace upon him. And so with the Apostle Paul's acknowledgement of the grace that he was given, um, looking back at Romans chapter 12, verse 3, much like the grace he, he, each of us has been given, the Apostle Paul was able to say, not to think more highly about yourself than you should. So, the Apostle Paul reminds us that God had been merciful and that our evaluation of ourselves should be through the lens of God's word and his mercy and his grace. This is very important for us to recognize and understand as we continue on in our passage looking at our role in the body of Christ. With faith having been given to us, we're reminded that each of us who are saved make up the body of Christ. And we are saved not based on anything that we've done or any work that we've completed or anything that we deserve, but again, it was on God's mercy and his grace upon us. So we're reminded in verses 4 and 5 that we're to work together for his glory, for we all worship God in our living sacrifice to him as he transformed us and continues to transform us to be more and more like his son. So as we continue moving forward, taking a look at our role in the body of Christ, we're reminded that our purpose is the same, to bring glory to him, to follow his leading on our lives, to live according to his word, and to do his will. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He tells us in verses 4 through 6 that there are different gifts among us, but the same spirit within those of us who believe. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person to bring himself glory. And the Apostle Paul also reminds us repeatedly that though there are many parts, there is one body. He reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 through 26, that God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. 
So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Again, these reminders serve that we serve uh, these these reminders serve a purpose of reminding us that an Almighty God, with the focus uh, focus on His will for us, is how we're supposed to conduct ourselves because we're all a part of the body of Christ. So back to our passage, we're going to go ahead and examine verses six through eight. The Apostle Paul reminds us in those verses that each of us has been given individually different gifts by His grace so that we can serve Him and bring Him glory, and that these are not used to determine or measure our own worth or the worth of others. So again, this is counter to what society says we should do. This is um, counter to the values of this age, where people assign value according to what they have, what position they hold, what clothing someone wears, where one lives, what one drives, what food someone eats, whose friends a person has, etc. That's what the world values. And we could sit here and talk about the list of things or the values of this age and go on and on and on for hours. Because if it's not focused on him, people will attach value to anything else in their attempt to define their own meaningness. But we shouldn't look at other person's gift and say, oh, they're better than me, or you know what, I'm better than them because I have this gift and they don't. We really need to derive our worth in the relationship we have with Christ and the fact that we belong to him. We shouldn't derive our value in what we can and cannot do. And our value comes from his merciful and graceful redemption of us. So I'm going to be very honest with you. I personally struggle with the feeling that I'm not good enough. The way that this thought sometimes takes a hold of me can be very destructive if I don't purposefully and intentionally give it to him. It can be so destructive that I slide into this rabbit hole of negativity, self-doubt, criticism, and through all of that, my eyes are taken off of him. But when I'm reminded during prayer time or through a passage of scripture that I'm reading that that I need to continually present myself as a living sacrifice, surrendered to him, so that he can use me, that's when the truth of my real value comes through. My real value comes from the fact that I'm his servant, used for his purposes, saved by his grace, according to his mercy, and my value comes from the fact that I'm redeemed by him. All those other things don't matter. Through his redemption, he equips me, he transforms me, and he uses me for his purposes as he sees fit. And my responsibility is to follow him, to learn of him, and to stay focused on him so all that other stuff doesn't come in and distract me from worshiping him and making him first and foremost in my life. We are also reminded that the gifts given are not to be used carelessly or to destroy each other, but for the purposes of building each other up, for working in collaboration with each other as we allow the Lord to use us to serve the body. During the pandemic, things are tough. It has changed the way that we worship. It's changed the way that we come and worship Him. One of the things that I've seen here is that the Lord has gifted each and every one of you with a natural gift, and you've stepped forward and used it. And at the end of the day, we come together and we worship the Lord. There is something amazing and beautiful behind that. And I just ask the Lord to continue doing that in all of us and create that that whole spirit of being used by him in our unique ways as the body of Christ to honor him and praise him. 
So in verses 6 through 8, there's specific gifts that are mentioned. They include prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. And so the Apostle Paul paired each of those gifts with attributes for godly use. So let's take a look at prophecy. That's the ability to communicate truths as revealed by the Lord to others in a way that encourages, comforts, or inspires them to continue towards the Lord's will or to praise the Lord. We're not talking about extra-biblical revelations or anything like that. We're talking about a prayerful person being given the gift to study and pray and live amongst people and to communicate a message from the Lord to that person given the structures that the Lord has set forward. And the passage says that those who have that gift, they should use that gift in a way that corresponds with the amount of faith that God has given them as they use this gift. And the amount of faith comes from going back to him. The amount of faith comes from going to the word and seeking the authority from the word. The amount of faith comes from knowing that you don't do anything until the Lord releases you to do it. So there's a gift of service. Service to other people's needs is a gift to be used for the benefit of the body of Christ and in service to those that either belong to the body of Christ or are becoming acquainted to him. Service should point others to him and not just be for the sake of service itself. I think in contemporary society right now, you see a lot of people serving just for the sake of serving, and they feel really good about it. It makes them feel wonderful. But it takes the focus off of Christ. So within the body of Christ, you really need to allow the Lord to use you to serve in a way that brings glory and honor back to him and points everyone back to the mercy and grace that he has for each and every one of us because he does want, to, he does want us to be close with him, and he did provide his son um, as atonement for our sin. So there's teaching, explaining God's word so that others can understand, so they can see and they apply what the Lord's word says. And there are people who are given that anointing, and we're thankful for them, because as we come together as a body of Christ, our main goal is to learn more of him. And we heard earlier today of the authority and the value of God's word that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and that the origins of the word are from the beginning. Exhortation, that's the gift of encouraging or comforting someone as they trust the Lord. Giving, we may think that's self-explanatory, but those who have that gift have the challenge and are called to give in a way that doesn't come with ulterior motives or conditions. There are some people out there who will give and they want something in return. Those with the gift of giving are called to give in a way that takes attention from themselves and acknowledges that the Lord is the source of it all. Leadership in the body of Christ has a focus on serving others in a way that equips and empowers others to live their lives for Christ and to share the gospel. And mercy has a specific focus on ministering to those in need in a way that allows Christ's love to flow through them so that the Lord can be glorified. So, the big question is, how does this all apply to us? Um, so before we go into that, I want to summarize. Those who believe that God sent his son to die on the cross as atonement for our sins and strive to follow him for the rest of the days, their days on earth are saved and they look forward to eternity with the Lord rather than eternity apart from him. So the Holy Spirit lives within them and they experience transformation in their lives both at the moment of salvation and throughout the rest of their days as they seek to follow the Lord and as the Lord transforms them to be more like Christ. 
And because of the Lord's miraculous grace through salvation and the transformation that happens in our lives, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, living for him and turning away from the world's way of living and what the world says we should be doing. So because of the Lord's miraculous grace, we know that we're not better than anyone else. But we're now a part of something bigger. We're now a part of the body of Christ, which exists to bring glory to God and to serve according to his will. And God gives each of us gifts that we can use to serve him within the body of Christ. And as we serve within the body of Christ, we work according to his will. We work in collaboration with each other to serve God's purpose of spreading the gospel and helping each other as we follow him. We're not to use those gifts in a way that dishonors God, but in a way that encourages each other to honor the Lord. So simply stated, we are being equipped to serve him. So as we become saved and are transformed and brought to the place where we surrender everything to him so we can be used for his purposes, he reveals those giftings in our lives so we can use them for the benefit of his kingdom. My question, where are you in all of this? I encourage you to pray, to ask the Lord to show you and to respond to what the Lord has to say to you about this. I think all of us are in different places regarding this. Some are new to the faith, they've recently, recently accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, and they're really not sure where to go next. So in this case, I would recommend that you pray to the Lord and ask for his guidance. I would also recommend that you begin reading the book of John in the New Testament and that you ask a trusted brother or sister in Christ to help you with next steps. There are many around who would love to walk with you in this new journey as you seek the Lord's leading on your life. And the Lord is pleased with your recent surrender. He will guide you in a life filled with his joy, his security, and his grace. And then there's some who have accepted Christ as Savior and they're being transformed by him, but they have not fully presented themselves as a living sacrifice. In this case, ask the Lord to show you what is holding you back, then let go of the control to allow the Lord full access to your life. It gets easier each time the Lord asks you to release something and you do so in obedience. And yet there are some who have presented themselves as a living sacrifice, but they have not yet seen where they fit in the body of Christ, or they have not yet realized the giftings that God has given them to serve the kingdom. In this case, trust that the Lord will show you. Ask the Lord to help you see what you're gifted with so that you can begin to serve. Ask your brothers and sisters to pray with you. The Lord may use them to help you realize where you can serve. And some have realized all of this, but something has gotten in the way. Maybe someone has hurt you. I've been here, and I know many of you have experienced this. In other cases, the cares of the world may have gotten in the way, getting a bigger house, more car, more money, etc. So if that's the case, repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Turn back to him. He wants you to come back. And in other cases, it may be that the Lord is transforming you some more. In this case, I recommend praying, asking your brothers and sisters in Christ to join you in prayer, and asking the Lord to bring restoration and resolution so you can continue in his service. And for those of you who aren't sure about all of this and you don't have the assurance of eternity spent with the Lord, or you aren't sure what it means to be saved, I want to encourage you this morning. The Lord loves you. Sin separated mankind from him. And the Lord has made a way for you to have an eternal relationship with him and to save you from sin. God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In order to accept this gift of salvation, you would need to confess with your mouth 
Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. His word says that you will be saved. So if this is you this morning, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if this is you, and you're at that point in time where you realize that you need a Savior, that you can't live this life on your own, that you need his leadership and his salvation and his grace and his mercy, and you're ready to surrender, just repeat after me. Father God, I come to you this morning. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that all have sinned. And this comes from Adam and Eve's original sin in the Garden of Eden. I realize there's nothing that I can do to save myself, that there's no work I can do. And I realize that I'm at your mercy, that I need you, that I need you to lead my life, and that I can't do this without you. Father God, please save me. I accept your gift of salvation. I acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and the sins of mankind. And I promise to follow you for the rest of my days. Father God, please show me and lead me in a life submitted to you, following you for the rest of my days. Thank you for the gift of salvation. In your son's name I pray. Amen. And so ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for your respectful attention this morning to God's word and the message you left on my heart this morning for each and every one of you. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to serve him. And I am thankful that uh, to be a part of the body of Christ. And I'm thankful that I get to follow him while serving with each and every one of you, because we're family. I thank you.